Beth Hemmings. Beth Hemmings. Beth Hemmings. Beth Hemmings. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Beth Hemmings with you here for the next hour on Manchester's Reform Radio. Today's show is a celebration of the LGBTQ plus community here in Manchester. We're going to be talking through some of the LGBT history here within the city, the importance of having the Manchester Pride Festival and having LGBT plus representation in broadcasting. And, of course, the beautiful display of self-exploration and expression that is drag. We have some absolutely fabulous guests on the show. We're going to be looking back through some of the historical LGBT events here in Manchester with Gareth Smith from Sea Walking Tours. We're going to be discussing the important work that Manchester Pride does as a charity and, of course, their annual Pride Festival with the charity's CEO, Mark Fletcher. We've got Gadio's Drive Time presenter and editor Matt Crabb to discuss the impact of having LGBT plus representation in broadcasting. And... We have the androgynous unicorn and all-round superstar Cheddar Gorgeous on the show. I'm so excited. (sighs) But before we get into some of Manchester's historical events with Gareth Smith, it's really important for us to all remember that although things have come a long way for the LGBTQ plus community here in the UK... The journey to even getting where we are today has been a really, really difficult one. And it's really important to remember those struggles of those who have come before us. This year, Manchester Pride have released the Manchester Pride movie, which is looking back at the journey that the LGBTQ plus community has been on over the last 50 years. What changes in the law regarding homosexuals the chief change we're recommending there is that homosexual behaviour between adult consenting males in private should no longer be a criminal offence. Do you personally feel that the recommendations made by your committee should pass into the law as quickly as possible? Well, of course, I say that strictly as a matter for uh, Parliament and not for me. But I should be very sorry if all that happened after this was that we got pigeonholed. I obviously don't want children taught that the gay and lesbian lifestyle is natural or normal. It is not, it never has been, and it never will be. Children who need to be taught to respect traditional moral values are being taught that they have an inalienable right to be gay. All of those children are being cheated of a sound start in life. Yes, cheated. Do you want homosexuality taught in schools? What we really object to is promoting homosexuality as a positive alternative way of life. That you're portraying a form of sexuality which is against the natural order of life. You're portraying a form of sexuality which is diminishing your own personality. What you people are missing out is that my sexuality stems from tenderness and love and caring. Exactly! I'm not saying that it doesn't. I haven't said that yours doesn't. I'm saying that mine does as well. And I don't understand why you want to hate me for loving and being tender. Good evening, the headlines at six o'clock. In the House of Lords, a vote is taking place now on a challenge to the poll tax. Tory rebels have said... 
protesting about rights for lesbian and gay people. The reason Clause 28 has been introduced is to scapegoat and victimise and create second-class citizens. Manchester City Council and the Labour Party in Manchester are not prepared to be used to help create second-class citizens in this city or anywhere else. Because I, like you, am now out and I'm out and about in the streets of Manchester. We must be out and about talking about homosexuality and, in fact, in that sense, promoting homosexuality. They can actually round us up. They can gas us, shoot us, do whatever they like with us. But they will never annihilate us because... So long as a man and a woman procreate, so homosexuality will exist. And we will never surrender! At 28 minutes to 8, schools and libraries are being encouraged to do something in February for what's being called LGBT History Month. That's Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual and Transgender History Month. What do you make of this? Well, it's all achingly politically correct, isn't it? I mean, we know resources are finite in the public sector. We know that time is limited to the national curriculum. Surely there must be time and resources that could be spent on better things than this. We feel very strongly that LGBT people should take their proper place in history in exactly the same way that black people now have, women are now doing. And it is important that we see that because we have a history, we can possibly have a future. It is really important that we understand who these people were so that we can help young people understand who they are and who their colleagues around them are. So just how far have we come in Britain when it comes to gay rights? So David Cameron has made his feelings clear in a last-minute statement tonight. He said allowing gay people to marry would make our society stronger. MPs are voting now on whether to allow same-sex marriage in England and Wales. The bill is likely to pass with a large majority thanks to Labour and Liberal Democrats. The eyes to the right, 400. The nose to the left, 175. So the eyes have it, the eyes have it. First of all, do we want to live in a society where people of all sexual orientations are treated with equal respect and have access not to special, frankly, but equal opportunities? Do we want history to seek the truth or a partial or distorted truth which avoids issues which for some are undoubtedly difficult yes, and controversial? But... And do we believe that schools and teachers deserve support to tackle issues responsibly and professionally, which in the past have been ignored or dealt with badly. Now, I believe well, yes. all, the answer to all of those questions, surely, is yes. We have earned this party. We have marched for this party. We have come out again and again for this party. We have had to leave our families for this party. We have seen our friends attacked on the streets, at home and at school for this party. We have earned this party.
there is optimism and, and, and the optimism will be made concrete when people feel that uh, it's safe for them to come out. It's the coming out, it's, it, it's the de de declaration to yourself that I am my own person and I don't care who knows it that changes the world. the power to make a change in this world whether you're within the lgbtq plus community or you're an ally it's so so important to be visible vocal and campaign for that equality you know pride festival may be over but the fight for equality for the community is a year-round battle so hearing that bit of history there across the uk in a moment we're going to look into a bit more of the history here in manchester specifically but just hearing that history there you know, it does highlight how we have come a long way here in the UK, but there is still a hell of a lot of work to be done to generate that equality for everyone. And you have the power to make a difference. We all know that Manchester is one of the best cities in the world, right? We all know that. And Manchester has been at the forefront of many society shaping events and it is absolutely no different when it comes to our incredible LGBTQ plus community. Uh, so we're about to hear from Gareth Smith of Sea Walking Tours, who, by the way, offer free daily walking tours in both English and Spanish. You know, it's such a great thing to do if you want to learn more about this fabulous city we have here. So make sure you head to their website. Uh, but here's Gareth to explain some of Manchester's LGBT plus history. Manchester itself, actually, it's um, got a long history with supporting the LGBT community. So a lot of people may have heard of the Stonewall riots, which were in 1969 in New York. However, in Manchester, there had already been um, people who were campaigning for LGBT plus rights. Um, this was started in 1964 with the Northwestern Homosexual Law Reform Committee. So this was when homosexuality in the England was still illegal and they were campaigning for the legalization of it, uh, which happened in 1967. Now, the Homosexual Law Reform Committee was, the main offices were in London and they thought with the legalization of homosexuality that their work was done. But there was a gentleman called Alan Horsfall uh, he thought there was still a long way to go. So in 1969, he set up the Campaign for Homosexual Equality. And that campaign for equal age of consent, lots of other rights that we now have, um, same-sex marriage, things like this. So um, they've been running in Manchester since before the Stonewall riots, basically. But in terms of the gay village itself, um, as I mentioned, it was illegal. And uh, before this time, around um, Canal Street, this area was a very quiet area at night. Basically, the cotton industry in the city had declined. It was made up of a lot of warehouses that were being unused. And also with the increase in road travel, uh, the canals were no longer used for boats. So basically, it was very dark at night, not many people around. If you're doing something that you didn't want other people to see you doing, it was an ideal place to go. So it started to end up with a lot of prostitutes around that area. Basically, it became the red light district of the city. And um, actually, the new Union Bar, which is at the bottom of Canal Street, this is where a lot of prostitutes used to drink um, while we were waiting for customers. And the police used to go in, they would raid the bar and arrest the prostitutes. And so gay men started to go in. And as gay men were also being prosecuted and their bars would be raided, basically when the police came in, the prostitutes and the gay men, they would pretend that they were couples. Uh, this way the police couldn't arrest either of them. So two communities that were working together to evade the police. But uh, with the legalization of homosexuality um, in England, 
the LGBT community in Manchester wasn't, it didn't feel that safe, we'll put it that way. Um, there was the chief of police, uh, James Anderton. Uh, he used to uh, try and find other laws to um, prosecute the community. He used to uh, raid bars. He wasn't a particular friend of uh, the LGBT community, so it still remained quite hidden. Now, he retired in 1991 um, after making some comments that uh, HIV and AIDS was God's punishment to homosexuals. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> he um, basically retired. Um, when he retired, a new chief of police came in, but um, he was more liberal. And also, since the um, 1980s, the Council of Manchester, they've been putting more effort to try and support the LGBT community. So they had um, particularly put um, people in libraries and things like this, liaison officers. Um, they've been um, supporting uh, HIV charities and things like this. So in 1990, this is when they decided to give the official title of Manchester's Gay Village to the area around Canal Street. Uh, they gave more licenses for bars to open there. And one of the bars which became one of the most influential at this time was Manto. Manto was the first bar to have completely plated glass windows. This was in 1990. Um, it was quite a shock for a lot of people. You know, it's the first time you could see into a bar and see the people drinking inside. Also, you could see out as well. And they say for the first few months, it wasn't really that successful. Uh, they were losing money, basically, because people were too scared. But it then developed into being one of the most popular bars on the street. And from that, lots of more bars started to open. Uh, the council also supported the community by uh, giving the, the bars around Canal Street late licenses. Basically, they were worried. Um, with alcohol law at the time, meaning everything had to close at two o'clock in the morning, that if the gay village closed at the same time as everything else, and everyone was coming onto the streets with all the rest of the people in the city, that there would be lots of trouble and lots of hate crimes. So their idea was, let's keep the village open till later, till four, five in the morning. That way, when everything else has gone quiet, people can make their way home in peace without anyone harassing them. Sure, we all know how uh, that actually worked out. Uh, basically, meant everything closed at 2 a.m. And then everyone heads over to the gay village to continue drinking for another two or three hours. But again, this had a uh, benefit for the community. Uh, it meant lots of people were interacting with them. wouldn't normally have done so. Now um, it's developed into one of the main party areas in the city. Uh, but you also have in 1999 the TV show Clear as Folk, a drama based around Manchester's gay village. Quite controversial at the time. I can still remember the headlines uh, in the newspapers from uh, when it was actually first aired in February. Um, yeah, some of them weren't particularly supportive, but it really put Manchester on the map for the community in the UK. There has, in subsequent years, been debate over how much this has helped the community. Um, some people saying that it has um, brought into um, an area, a destination for hemp parties and things, but um, it definitely uh, gave, it was a, a changing point in the UK and uh, brought into people's homes, um, something that we'd never seen before. So, um, yeah, but the council, they still help to support the community and they help support Manchester Pride. It is one of the uh, longest running prides in the UK. Bridges um, started from a um, car boot sales, or well, a jumble sales, sorry, um, in 1989. So they basically were raising funds to um, support people who um, were dying from HIV and AIDS. And this then developed into Mardi Gras, uh, later becoming Manchester Pride. Uh, it's one of the most visited events in the city. I think it's the second most visited event in the city centre after the Christmas markets. 
Um, so yeah, um, the council, they are still helping support. Um, again, anyone walking around the city, uh, you may see the little rainbow mosaic flags having the floor. So um, to name a few of them, like I mentioned, there's one outside the uh, Midland Hotel where um, Ivan Novello and Noel Cowell uh, met. Uh, you've also got a lot around the gay village. So you have one at the Alan Turing um, Statue Memorial in Sapphire Gardens, as well as the Beacon at Hope in Sapphire Gardens for um, people who died from HIV and AIDS. Um, we've also got one for the uh, Albert Kennedy Trust, which is on the car park, on outside the car park on Sackville Street, the multi-storey. Um, Albert Kennedy, he was a 16-year-old. Um, he was in the care of uh, Salford Council. And uh, basically, he was being bullied a lot. So he ended up committing suicide by jumping off the uh, car park um, top floor of it. So um, they basically, they set up a charity to support um, LGBT youths who were being bullied, uh, still running today. The little rainbow mosaic flags. They were originally installed in 2003, uh, which is when Manchester held uh, Euro Pride. More as a tourist attraction, it was quite forward thinking of the city as well, in um, 2003 to be looking at LGBT tourism. Um, so it was a way that people could come to the city and they could discover the hidden side of um, the history in, the, in Manchester. Uh, and bearing in mind when they're uncovered, this was when Section 28 was still actually in effect. Uh, it wasn't repealed until November of that year. So it's quite forward thinking of people to be um, placing those in the, in the streets. Beth Hemmings! Beth Hemmings! Beth Hemmings! Beth Hemmings! Turn it up! Still to come on the show, we have Matt Crabb from Gadio and the exceptional Cheddar Gorgeous. But that was Gareth Smith there from Sea Walking Tours sharing his knowledge of some of Manchester's LGBT history. As he mentioned, the Manchester Pride Festival began as a fundraiser for people living with HIV and AIDS, and it has now evolved into one of the biggest and most visited events in the city. But what most people don't realise is that Manchester Pride is actually a charity that offers year-round support and grants for the LGBTQ communities across Greater Manchester. And of course, they organise Manchester Pride Festival. So I'm so pleased to welcome Manchester Pride CEO Mark Fletcher to the show, where we discuss the charity's work, their mission for equality, and of course, next year's festival. First and foremost, we are a grant-making charity, so that one of our key aims is to be able to, to support small uh, community groups, organisations, as well as some key initiatives with larger charities that benefit LGBTQ plus uh, people in Greater Manchester. But we also self-fund some of our own initiatives as well, that, that in order to achieve um, our mission, to work with LGBTQ plus people, um, to encourage them to become engaged in society through culture. One of our key programmes is a uh, Superbia, um, and that's our year-long calendar of culture. So through the Superbia programme, we curate, we produce, we co-curate, and we promote um, arts and culture led by, for, and with LGBTQ plus people around Greater Manchester. Um, and then we act as a free listings opportunity, really, just to, to showcase and to platform all of the brilliant LGBT plus offerings that are out there across Greater Manchester. Um, we provide a platform um, of free promotion to, to elevate them, to let other people know that they are there um, and to, to make sure that we can help support and guide them along their journey to promote that event um, and make sure that they're getting the audience that they, they, wanna, they want to reach out to. Um, in addition to that, 
Um, we're recently developing, uh, well, we've started to develop our Youth Pride MCR program, and that exists all year round. So we, we engage young people um, to talk to us about what they want their young, Youth Pride MCR event to be um, as part of the festival. Um, but also as a part of the program that we're delivering at the minute, they're learning new skills. Not only are we bringing a space for them to come together, albeit at the moment virtually, um, but they're learning new skills on social media, how to cut edits, uh, how to cut and edit videos, how to create memes, for example, what a press release looks like, life skills um, and career skills, vocational skills that they can apply um, to, to their own lives and their future. Um, and then for me, another huge initiative that, that we've developed is our All Equals Charter. And this was off the back of feedback that we received from um, some harrowing experiences of people uh, that people had had at some of our events where they'd experienced uh, racism, uh, misogyny, transphobia, biphobia. Um, and we started to develop a charter based on um, for originally hearing some of the, the racism uh, that people, that BME people were, uh, were facing at our events. Um, I myself, as a queer person of colour, you know, was, was victim of a racist uh, comment and, and racism directed towards me at the festival a few years ago. And it made me stop and, and just really think and understand and, and reflect on the experiences of black and uh, black and people of colour um, who are, who also recognise as LGBTQ plus. Um, so we did a piece of work um, uh, researching what those experiences were and we were quite appalled as a charity um, and as a team when we when we saw what, what people were experiencing. So we started to develop a charter that we wanted to make sure that partners that we were aligned with, venues that operate within event spaces that we create, um, sponsors that work with us, um, would align themselves with our values and would work hard to recognize understand and therefore prevent discrimination within their organizations um, we wanted to to see what we could do in our city region to, to stamp it out and i'm really pleased to say that upon developing the, this charter a living breathing charter not just a plaque you put on your wall um, but a living website um, that is constantly holding you to accounts and, and teaching you new processes and making sure you're accredited to the level that people can see that, that you are actually stepping out to support LGBTQ equality. It's been quite a history for Manchester Pride Festival. Um, it's changed quite a lot over the years. I'm really proud to, to be part of the team now and to be the, the, the torchbearer uh, for the current um, setup that we have in the festival that, that we deliver now. We, we often underestimate the value and importance of a Pride celebration. Uh, Manchester is quite unique. The, the Manchester Pride Festival that we have has, has, has different key strands to it that just something quite unique um, that makes it stand out, head and shoulders, in my opinion, above many other Pride uh, events that take place around the world. Um, but it's incredibly important that we celebrate who we are, um, our identities, our differences, and where we've come from whilst also recognising that we don't and we have not achieved true equality for LGBTQ plus people yet. And that's why certain events such as the parade are so, so important. Um, the parade is seen by many as almost because of its carnival atmosphere as a fun participatory event for anybody to come along and to take part of and to cheer along. Um, what's important is that we don't lose um, the political meaning uh, and, and campaigning elements of that parade it's a march for equality um, and for as long as um, there is discrimination faced by LGBTQ plus people then the relevance of that, that parade um, as a march for equality 
will remain. It's really important work to draw focus to, whilst we can celebrate, but to draw focus to why we're here and what the meaning is. Um, they're incredibly important. And, and, and as an LGBT person in Greater Manchester, um, we should be very proud that we have this um, celebration in the format that we do, on the scale that we do. Um, and most importantly, provides an opportunity for us to come together and to be with other LGBT people in a safe environment and, and feel free to celebrate who we are. You know, early on in the year, when we realised we weren't able to deliver a physical festival, we, we were heartbroken. And as a charity, we rely on the income generated from the festival and to enable us to deliver these wonderful initiatives and support the, the community grassroots um, programmes and other charities that, that, that we form partnerships with. Um, so we were, it was, we were really worried at that time that, that not being able to deliver a physical event may mean that there was going to be no Manchester Pride, the charity. It takes such a long time to organise a, a, a large-scale festival of that type that we started working on 2021 plans back in May 2020. Um, so, yeah, I can tell you that we are planning a physical festival. Um, you know, we've, we've, right now, I, I can't guarantee exactly what that's going to look like, but I know that we will, we will have our key strands as we've been able to deliver uh, for, 2019, for 2020. Um, so we will have those key strands. Um, we just have to navigate the guidance that's out there right now to understand what that might look like. So at the moment, we're looking at all different kind of scenarios. We are planning and we've been advised to, to steam ahead with plans for the physical festival that everybody knows and loves. And that's what we're aiming to deliver. Um, and if we're unable to deliver that, we'll have a whole host of different options to look at for socially distanced events to take place in Bank Holiday Weekend uh, next year as well as, as I've said, developing some of the um, at-home initiatives for those who aren't able to or don't want to attend a physical event, for them to become engaged, whether it be through broadcast, through radio, or online at home. Um, I can tell you that the whole lineup of artists that we'd, we were planning to deliver at the 2020 festival that have committed to performing in 2021. So I'm really excited about that. Um, sadly, Adam Lambert is not available in, in next year to come with us, but he's the only artist that we'd announced. Um, so for us, we, yeah, we've got a whole host of artists that want to come and join us at Manchester Pride Live next year. And I'm so excited about that, I can't tell you. CEO of Manchester Pride, Mark Fletcher, discussing the importance of representation of the LGBTQ plus community, among many other things. But of course, having that representation of the community in public spaces is such an important factor in generating equality for the community. Of course, it's not the only thing, but another organisation that are doing amazing things for getting those LGBTQ plus voices out there is radio station Gadio. Here is Gadio's drive presenter and editor, Matt Crabb. Gadio has been around for, ooh, I want to say 13 years now. So initially, um, we sort of popped up as a as a pride radio station in a way so Ofcom gave us a license to broadcast over a Manchester pride weekend which was great because you know a radio station that is around a festival or around an event is brilliant there's always loads of people to talk to uh, you know you can be on the parade and then you can be in the village and that type of thing and it worked really really well um, so 
uh, we thought let's do it again you know it was great it was really well received not only by people listening but uh, by advertisers and businesses and organizations in Manchester as well so yep we did that um, and then we got a full FM license to broadcast full-time across Manchester uh, in 2010 um, so we became permanent we were the first FM LGBTQ plus radio station anywhere in the UK broadcasting from the heart of Manchester we were doing great uh, we were building that presence in Manchester and then in 2013 we were given the opportunity to grow and expand even further so there was a station based in London that broadcast across the capital um, to Brighton and pockets of the uh, southeast of England so they had a, a radio station which they couldn't financially make work and they made the decision to either close it or give the licenses to us at Galio. So through a bit of negotiation uh, and some toing and froing, we launched as a UK offering in January 2013. So for the first time ever, Galio was available on a I guess traditional platforms. So when I say traditional platform, I mean like on FM or DAB digital radio. Um, it was the first time that you could hear us across the UK. Um, and then three years ago, we applied to basically launch in Brighton on FM. There was a community license up for grabs there. We bid for it. Didn't really know if we were going to get it or not. We're like, it would be great if we did. And uh, yeah, we won the license. So uh, you can now hear Galio in Manchester on 88.4 FM, in Brighton on 97.8. Um, and as well as being on DAB Digital Radio in London, you can hear us in different parts of the UK as well. So we're in uh, North Birmingham, Glasgow, Portsmouth, Cambridge for some reason. Um, so yeah, you know, we're, we're always looking to kind of expand and grow. Oh, that's really, really wonderful. Um, but what do you think is you know, like the importance of having that national LGBTQ plus radio station? I think being able to give people a place where they feel accepted and can identify with people. Radio is such a one-on-one -on -one personal medium and it, it's great that there's so many LGBTQ outlets like Attitude magazine, for example, in Gay Times, where you can read through it and go, oh, that's me, I'm, I can identify like that. But when you actually hear the voice of someone who you relate to, it's such a powerful thing. I remember growing up, not really sure of my sexuality and my identity, and I, I worked, I've worked in radio for 14 years. So I left school, went straight to work for my local radio station in Somerset. And I was told, don't be gay. Don't mention that you've got a boyfriend, you know, don't do this and don't do that. And I was, at the time I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm just happy to be on the radio type of thing. But growing up and I was like suppressing my, 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 my homosexuality because I was told, don't do that. Don't be like this. And then actually being able to be authentically myself on air as well is such a liberating thing because I know that the audience and the person that's listening at home, whether they're listening because they want to be entertained, whether they're listening because they want to live the life that we can so they can sort of live their life through us. It's just an incredible thing. Like, honestly, I've worked at loads of radio stations over the years, but I've never worked for a station where the audience are so receptive to what you're talking about. I, we're quite lucky in the sense that our management and our team here and I'm part of the senior management team as well but we allow people to have a voice and have 
an opinion on stuff and not a lot of stations do that so actually there'll be times where we'll have a bit of a rant and we'll put the faders down on the microphone and go but actually when you see the comments and stuff coming through it makes a huge difference and you know I, I like to think that we are one huge big queer lgbtq plus family it doesn't really matter where you, where you live if you live in swanage and somerset or if you live in you know salford uh, you know in greater manchester you know as lgbtq people we've all got something that we can talk about and the beauty of gaydio is that we tell stories you know we're not just about play four songs in a row talk for 30 seconds and then play four more songs with storytellers and we want to have representation from across the lgbtq plus family on our station the thing about gaydio as well is that because we were born in manchester as a community interest company and that is still at the heart of what we do you know we have a huge volunteering program uh, where people from all walks of life can send an application and potentially be on air you know we don't shy away from going well you've not had that much experience you can't do this you can't do that you know and that is the beauty of it like Gadio is for the community and part of the community if you want to get involved with it you can and that's so unique in radio these days and I moved to Manchester three years ago and I can honestly say that I've never lived anywhere where I felt so accepted and being in Manchester in particular there is something about Mancunians that it's hard to explain it's just a feeling when you uh, when you live in Manchester whether you've come here like me or if you were born here there is a sense of pride and there's a sense of togetherness yeah you're absolutely right whether you know you're just out shopping or you're on a night out on Canal Street everyone in this city just makes you feel really welcome and you can feel that sense of community and belonging which is just so beautiful you know I'm like you I'm not originally from Manchester but after I graduated university I wanted to stay here because of that sense of community and how everyone makes you feel really welcome it's really beautiful um but with regards to equality for the LGBTQ plus community you know here in Manchester and across the UK What's your opinion on where we are today with regards to having that equality for the LGBTQ plus community? I mean, you only have to look at the latest statistics for hate crimes to, uh, you know, to take a, a, a look to know that there is not equality yet. And, you know, a lot of people go, well, you've got equal marriage and you've got this and you've got that. That's enough, isn't it? And it's like, well, no, that isn't enough, actually. And I, I think uh, as, as someone who identifies as a cis white gay man, I've got it really easy compared to other parts of our community um, not to say that you know it, it's a breeze and every day is easy you know there are still times when I experience homophobia mostly on social media but I really feel that the T and the Q plus is where we are really struggling now I think trans people uh, people that are non-binary people that are Q plus are, are really struggling because people don't understand it and don't want to give it the time of day. They go, that's, that, I don't understand it. I'm not, I'm not entertaining that, you know, and I've got friends that I've stopped speaking to because they go, oh, non-binary is just a load of rubbish. It doesn't, it, how, how do people just say, oh, I'm a penguin. I was like, well, this is, this is the problem. You're not listening. And, and I think the T and the Q in particular, you know, I remember, I think it was last year that sort of, there was a whole weekend in Manchester's Gay Village where there was a turf issue where lesbians in particular were like, get the T out of the LGBTQ plus. And I was like, this is infighting. This is absolutely ridiculous. You know, we should be supporting our trans siblings. But 
I've spent a lot of time trying to educate in particular my family um, and people around me because what gay men were going through in the 1980s with the AIDS crisis is similar to the trans movement in America, in the UK, where they're not getting the recognition. The Gender Recognition Act has effectively been scrapped. You know, uh, the government pledged to get that in place. There's been no update on it. We've got a leader, I don't want to get too political, but we've got a leader who has referred to gay men as tank top bum boys. You know, there's the current government, I feel my own personal opinion, aren't hugely supportive of our community. They think that we've got equality because, you know, like I said, we've got equal marriage. Uh, and they think that's it, that's it, game over. That's that we don't need to do anymore. There is so much more to do. And it's really important that we don't get complacent as a community because when we get complacent and go, oh, well, we've got this, that actually is all right, it's all good. That's when things can slide and things can go to sort of south. And, it, it, you know, the hate crime stats is, is, a, is a real quick, wheezy way to, to, you know, to prove that we don't have equality. Um, there is still a lot of homophobia and in particular against, as I said, the QNT and, you know, against the black community within our own LGBTQ family as well. You know, the Black Lives Matter thing, um, it was it was incredible to see because we as LGBTQ people in the black community, we became one and that was a beautiful thing to see, but we shouldn't have had to do it. Shouldn't have had to be on the streets doing it, but actually it's opening people's minds and I still believe that fighting and getting out on the streets and, and pride is that as well. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a celebration of us as LGBTQ people and it's us going, look, we are queer, we are here and, you know, we still have to fight. You know, one day we may never need pride, but we certainly still do now. The wonderful Matt Crabb there from Manchester's LGBT radio station, Gadio. In just a very small moment, we'll be talking to Cheddar Gorgeous about what the Manchester scene means to her and what mainstream drag has become. Uh, but Cheddar is a renowned drag artist that plays around with concepts of androgyny uh, through sci-fi influenced aesthetics. I've got to say, our entire conversation was just so extremely edifying. We spoke about politics, the sci-fi influences that are seen throughout her work, RuPaul's Drag Race, Netflix's Social Dilemma, a whole host of things. So I'm going to post the entire interview on my new podcast series, Aspects, the Series of Life, which you can now listen to on Spotify. But ladies and gentlemen, for your pleasure, the wonderful Cheddar Gorgeous. The Manchester drag scene, uh, although I'm not from Manchester, but it's certainly where my drag was born. And um, we grew up together. Like uh, this can, this, and you have to remember that drag comes in waves, right? So uh, drag didn't start, you know, with our current explosion of drag within the city, but uh, the current explosion of drag was something that uh, I grew up as part of. So when I started doing drag, drag was not popular. Drag could not get you a date. Drag could not earn you a living. Um, drag was uh, something, or at least it could, but it was a very specific kind of drag that people, you know, that I wasn't interested in um, at the time. So the local scene became my community and my family because I, I was traveling a lot. For the last five years, I've been traveling a lot. And what's now interesting for me is 
coming back into my own scene. And obviously there's a ton, the, the scene is so huge. When I started doing drag, it was like our little weirdo night, a couple of other little weirdo nights, and then the village queens doing their kind of cabaret um, stuff going on. Um, and now the scene here is huge and there are so many new drag queens, some of whom I know, but a lot of whom I just don't know. I don't know them, I haven't seen their art and their art is wonderful. For me, I was always really interested in, in and I suppose, that relationship between visibility and what's hidden. And I think that comes out a lot in my drag, maybe not so much in the aesthetics. I think the whole sci-fi thing comes from that, um, the, where I find power, where I perceive power to be. And I, I suppose it's just a little bit more ham-fisted. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of people look at Beyonce and they look at Lady Gaga and they think that's my ultimate image of empowerment and fabulousness and beauty. And so they, they emulate that in their drag and it becomes a projection forward. Those empowered, often female icons. For me, when I was growing up, I love women and I, I, I love empowered women. I was in a warrior princess. That's the kind of shit I grew up on. But um, the the real beings that I saw as powerful when I was growing up and the kind of model of power, because I was a major geek, it was elves and monsters and gods and goddesses and aliens and all those kind of um, people who had that ability to change the world and their lives. And I suppose there's a little bit of me self-consciously aware that you know, it is an impossibility, but there's a little bit of me that in, within my drag wants to reach for that kind of uh, idea that we can all change the world. I think so, it's so easy to look at drag for what it's become well known as, and that's as a form of light entertainment. And it's wonderful and valuable and powerful in that place because that's almost, that's almost its, its, its secret weapon, isn't it? It lures you in thinking it's a bit of camp fun, when in fact, actually, there's very weird and subtle things that are going on when it comes to terms, in terms of gender, uh, for some people in terms of race, for the way that it inverts some of those power relationships that exist around race. And I think that's, that's part of the magic for me. Um, but I think the downside of that subtlety is that it fails to be recognised, both for um, the, the kind of people who it should be open to, because um, we get caught up in definitions we get caught up in a specific history of drag and which ironically ends up excluding what i think it has to offer from a hell of a lot of other people who really need to feel more visible and really need to feel spectacular and fabulous and entertaining and all those wonderful things i feel like it's wonderful that we have the subtlety that drag brings as as a style of entertainment but sometimes in failing to recognize what else is going on there you devalue that, you devalue the art form. So you reduce it to its bare bones. You reduce it to whatever the definition of the mainstream thinks of it is. is. Um, and, and that means in terms, and looking at a very, very practical sense, it, it means exclusion of people. It means a limitation of your art. It means um, a lack of resources available for artists to do other things. Um, and it results in, you, something that is potentially quite big and quite powerful being re reduced to a kind of historical pastiche and actually what we see increasing i'm going to get really intense now i've got i've got a bit of a catchphrase beth which is go deep or go home um and i think if we only looked at drag through what made it popular the reason why the things become popular about drag 
is because they adhere to what is already dominant in our society. So the reason why men dressing up as women or men dressing up as either parodied or fantastical versions of women becomes the only side of drag that people see is because those are the dynamics that dominate our society. That separation between the male and the female and also the empowerment specifically of men within that art form. So if we don't challenge that, if we don't actually challenge that idea as an integral thing that is what our art form is about, if we don't challenge that and recognize our art form as something that is bigger, what you end up doing is perpetuating all of the crap that's already going on. And I think that's what you often see with drag. What you see of drag out there is the drag that can be sold easily to the mainstream. It's the drag that conforms to people's expectations. And that is a drag that is about reducing queerness to a form of entertainment, empowering men, limiting what women can do, and enforcing both the stereotypes of women that are comedic and also the stereotypes of women that are about fantastical levels of beauty. It's about drag that can sell stuff. And whilst I still think it has a value, I still think it's amazing. I still think it's wonderful that drag is in the mainstream in the way that it is. We have to use that to shove other ideas through too, because otherwise we end up inverting something that could trouble those things in our world and actually end up perpetuating stuff because it's all a fantasy. It's all made up. The thing that makes drag queens special, and I think this is what we need to make sure we hold on to, is that people know it's fake. People know that we're putting something on. And in doing so, we reveal that all of those things that we do all the time to make ourselves adhere to a particular fantastical standard of beauty is all fake, all of the time. And it's only in recognizing that that we can try and use drag as a way that allows us to relax, embrace freedom, embrace the fact that men and women can be the way that they are in many, many different ways. So that was Cheddar Gorgeous. And as I said, I'll be posting our full interview, our truly deeply edifying conversation. Uh, I'll be posting that very soon on my podcast aspects. So follow me on socials, Beth Hemmings 3, for that release very, very soon. But as we've heard across the show today, the LGBTQ plus community still does not have the equality that it deserves. And it's so, so important for all of us to get out there to campaign for equal rights and, you know, help out in any way that you can be visible, be vocal about these issues. And of course, it's so important for everyone to be unapologetically proud and themselves. I'll see you next time. <laughs>